We are on session 11, okay, with regards to this end times journey that we're on. Um, and I encourage you, we've WhatsApped you that link into the Google Drive. And this journey has been amazing as we've unfolded this understanding of the Father's heart for us as firstly His people that He chose, the people of Israel, but then how we've been grafted into that story and are, are part of the, the plan that God had in place from the very, very beginning. And as the story unfolds and unravels, the truth of the love of the Father just becomes more and more real to us. But as we keep going on this journey, the thing that we have to be probably most content with is the understanding, and be which is sufficient, is the revelation of Jesus. It's not now trying to find more than Jesus. He is the answer in everything. And as we hold on to the revelation and the truth of the Savior that's whose name we sing about and we declare His praise, we feel His presence, there's sufficiency in that. It's now understanding everything. You know, when Jesus spoke to His disciples, and I've said this many times, is that they didn't even understand what He was saying. They were like, say, and he was, and he was kept speaking the truth, kept speaking these things to them, and only afterwards, we even when he ascended, then they understood. It's the same for us when it comes to end time study. There's going to be a lot that you're not going to fully understand, but when you see it playing out, you're like, this is what was said, because it, it is a lot of it is hard to understand, but there's a simplicity in this because who's the center of it all? Jesus, from the very beginning, like I said a couple of weeks ago, from Genesis 3.18, it speaks about this Messiah, the Savior coming, from the very beginning, and it will play out right to the very end. Our hope is in Him, okay? Not in the latest YouTube clips that will give you the greatest and deeper revelation and understanding of what I need to know. It's Jesus is sufficient in this, okay? And He's the answer to everything, Okay? Yeah, I want to quote you from a recent book that I got. You, a lot of you might have heard of Amir Tsefati. He's, he's an Israeli man, but he's a Messianic Jew. He's been saved. And he's speaking in his latest book called, Has the Tribulation Begun? And he quotes to say, Many people inside and outside of the church don't know God's word and therefore don't know God. This biblical illiteracy okay, opens the hearts of many to fear, and there is to rampant sensationalism that, per, that has permeated the Christian airwaves and social media. We're always looking for deeper and more. And so have you heard this teaching? This teaching is incredible. I'm going to take the depth. Yes, it's good. And it's, but we go beyond sometimes the greater the greater and we, try, and we bypass Jesus. And if you want to know God, read the Word. You want to know Jesus being the Word. It came in the flesh. Read your Bibles. You know, it doesn't tell you anywhere that you need to do a quiet time in the Bible. It doesn't tell us to do that. But when we're in a relationship with someone, we spend time, we take time to know who they are. And when you read God's Word and you speak and you read the Word, Jesus becomes real to you as we continue kind of on this journey. I, I just implore you, just read the Bible. Don't read it to get something out. Just read it to build stuff into you. Because then when you need it, you'll draw upon it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So today we're going to continue. Let me just put my glasses with you because I forget them here. Hold on to those, my darling. Don't lose them. Put them on, then I'll see how beautiful you are. Okay. We're going to start going through the book of Daniel. Okay. We've got to this point where we can now start tapping into some of these prophecies, some of these things that speak about. The book of Daniel is not a long book. It's only 12 chapters. 
but there is a lot in this book that is relevant for today and relevant to the times that we live, but relevant to end times. And it's, it's very, very prophetic, okay, in lots of what it says. But we must remember the foundation that as we keep going forward, we've spoken about this loving Father who keeps His covenant. He's never going to break the covenant with His people, okay? And once we catch the heart of the Father, we understand the cycles that I've been speaking about, where Israel has been exiled. And this story in Daniel is literally the first exile of the people of Israel where they had to flee Israel. Well, not flee, they were basically taken to Babylon. And Jerusalem was destroyed eventually in 586. Okay, and we see these cycles playing out. And the relevance of, uh, as I explained, uh, I think it was last Sunday, spoke into that Jacob's trouble, meaning that uh, the great tribulation, that final seven years that we will understand will be a time here on earth. Daniel's book speaks exactly into that and gives us understanding Almost, and Daniel's prophecy is to the exact point and time prophesied five, six hundred years before. It tells us exactly when the Messiah would be on the earth. That's how, that's how um, uh, accurate his prophecies were. We'll speak into that a little bit more. Okay? But now we must remember about Daniel. Okay? That he was a person just like us. Okay? He, was, he was a young man when he was first taken to Babylon. They, they believe he was, he was still a teenager. Okay, so all the youth going on camp, okay, he was still a teenager, but God used him to help shape and, and, and speak prophecies that haven't come true yet 2,000 years later, plus 2,600 years later, okay? And we are, we are now in 2023 AD, okay, this story that we're starting now, we're going to go right back to 605 BC. This is where the story of Daniel starts, that's 2,600 years ago. That's a very long time, but it still stands, and it's still relevant for us. He faced many challenges of his own life, okay? He needed to hear the voice and needed to hear God speak to him to lead him, but he stood for truth. He didn't compromise, and that, what I'm saying there, is an example to all of us. And I'll read some stuff as we go a little bit on here, a little bit today. You see, we sing these songs, Faithful Forever, like Forever God is Faithful. I love that song. I love it. 2,600 years since these prophecies, he's been faithful forever. Amen. Forever. Like we start the meeting, I'm saying he's not in a bad mood. He's not going to have a bad day and turn you down today. What a faithful God we serve. And this time of 605 BC was when Babylon had basically come and they were basically taking over Jerusalem. And it was in the time of 605 BC, the book. Okay, it's been written chronologically for Gentiles, but also for future Israel, and along with speaking of the second coming of Christ. Okay, Daniel lived for about 80 to maybe 90 years he was of age in this area of Babylon where he was. And now you remember he was a teenager when he was first brought into Babylon. And we'll go into that a little bit this morning as we go into that. But it, it amazes me when you read commentaries how many people try and dispute and reject the Word of God, that it's not true. And so you get all these clever intellectuals through all time who are academics, and they understand and they come out with a truth that's theirs, and they think they know better. So there's this guy in 3 AD by the name of Porphyry, whatever he's now, I cannot pronounce it. Okay, Porphyry, yeah. P-O-R-P-H-Y-R-Y. He basically said that prophecy 
to prophesy into the future is impossible. So that he's lying to us saying that Daniel's book is so accurate that it's impossible that he got it so right. It must have been written after the event took place. <laughs> he says there's no way that guy could have got it right. And then you get through the 17th century, you get these people come out saying, ah, it's impossible that he could have known these things. And it's amazing how there's always a fight for truth. See, what I want you to see today is what's happening to Daniel here 2,600 years ago is not different to what we're facing today. Why? Because it's the same enemy. Okay, he doesn't come up with new tricks. He just does the tricks in different ways. Okay, Daniel didn't have social media, but they would have had a social way of connecting of the day and the social norms, the social acceptances, which to our days are certain ways that just, it's, that's the way we operate. It's not different. But the fight for this truth against this word, you cannot believe how many people argue the different things in the Bible. It can't do this, can't do that. And it keeps just refuting all the lies and stands for the truth of what God has meant it to be. And the greatest kind of, kind of exposure of all these guys trying to say it can't be true, it's impossible to be able to prophesy ahead. There's no ways he could have known that was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it brought to light everything to say, I don't know, Rod, when they, was it 100 BC when they found some of the first scrolls or was it more in the 1940s? Nineteen forty-seven, forty-eight time. That's right, that's right. And then they found these Dead Sea Scrolls, which is basically old writings, like the originals of Isaiah, of Daniel, which kind of gave proof to these books are real, and they were written. And by the paper and by that stuff, they they understand how long ago they were actually put together, and they understand that it was written definitely around the time that Daniel was alive, around this time, six hundred and five B.C. Okay, the book is very. Uh, apocalyptic in its writings, okay? The word, that word apocalyptic comes from the Greek word called apocalyptius, which means to uncover and to unveil. So a lot of ap uh, apocalyptic prophecies vary in symbolic form and can be hard to understand when it speaks about a dragon and ten horns and this horn and these things that can be hard to understand. But what we see when you read through the book of Daniel is that a lot of the the, the, um, the trans, not translations, the, the explanation basically of what those prophecies and what those visions he was having is divinely given to him by the angels that speak to him. And uh, it's Gabriel, I think, that talks to him. And he sees these visions and it's divinely given as revelation to him and understanding. And then when you read the book of Revelation, it confirms so much because John was taken up and saw and there's a correlation between these books which is incredible, Okay. It also gives um, relevance in Ezekiel and Zechariah, also apocalyptic. But Revelation is the one book that is very apocalyptic, but it, it, it gives understanding now to what Daniel was saying. What is he? That was 400 years before John actually wrote that book, or probably um, 500 more years because it was near the end of the first century. Okay, so the book was mainly written in Hebrew, but there are sections in Aramaic for the Gentiles to read. And that. So the book is broken up basically into three different areas. The first chapter, which we'll just touch on today, is basically giving a, a background to who Daniel is. And Daniel arrives on the scene, and he kind of is writing this book. He, he doesn't mention his name until further in the book when he speaks in the first person, when you know he's talking about himself, I, Daniel, saw. Okay, he's just talking about the scenario of him 
in the first chapter, Coming, which we'll get into today. The chapters 2 and 7 are dealing with the time of the Gentiles, okay, which is quite powerful because when we read Romans 11, John is referring, uh, Paul, sorry, is referring to the time of the Gentiles. See, the time of the Gentiles must come to an end. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end. When there's a revival taking place in Israel, then the Lord, we will see Him moving in those days. We are living in those, the times of the Gentiles. And then chapters 8 to 12 speak about Gentile history as it relates to Israel. Okay, and we'll unpack this book for you over the next kind of couple of weeks and go into this. There's a lot, there's a lot in this book. Like something, for example, Daniel 11, there's a lot of future prophecies, but there are many of the prophecies in this book have been fulfilled already. So in Daniel 11, from verses 1 to 35, there are over 100 specific prophecies just in that portion of Scripture. Every one of them has been fulfilled. Okay, and there's a lot that's spoken in this book that is still to come that we are waiting for and trusting. So do not, you don't have to be afraid of this book. And I read this stuff, I don't know what's going on here. You've got to slowly work through it and understand what the book is showing us in relevance to the times that we live and the seasons and the eras and the ages that have gone before us. Okay? So we'll start in chapter 1 and we'll read this first section and we'll just work through this through this book because I want to read some stuff out of commentary at the end here just to give us relevance to the understanding. You'll see, I want you to see this. See the relevance of Daniel's life to our lives today. And I'm telling you, it's not different to the pressures and the things that they were facing. So Daniel is taken to Babylon. So in the third year of the reign of, of uh, Jeroham, the king of Judah, now remember the king of Judah was the two southern tribes. The king of Israel was the king of the, the ten northern tribes of Israel. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, meaning those things that are in the sanctuary, basically. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Okay, so... When you read scripture and it gives indication to the king of this king in that period of time, you will then be able to plot in history when it is. Much of the Bible is being able to say this king ruled over that time. So now you can see, oh, well, that was definitely 605 BC. It gives reference to Nebuchadnezzar. Because in history, outside of the Bible, history will speak about King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So it gives us relevance to what the Bible is saying, but it correlates with actual um, text that is written outside. These, that also gives reference in two kings and two chronicles to this moment where King Nebuchadnezzar came. That term there where it says the, some of the vessels of the house of God were taken okay, by King Nebuchadnezzar and put into his house. Okay, and and, and um, what that meant was bringing the vessels to the house of Nebuchadnezzar's God, Marduka, was a natural religious, so it was a natural religious gesture. If I take, take victory over you, I will take your religious things and I will put them in my temple. Okay, which would attribute the victory of the Babylonians over Israel. Okay, and later other vessels were added to the collection. But this is all which was, when we read in Daniel 5, speaks about they brought out the golden cups and stuff and they drank from it. And the Daniel 5 is where there was writing on the wall. Okay, and they used these sacred things that were meant for the people of Israel and God responded to that. But you'll also see this is a prophetic um, um, accomplishment or a, a confirmation what Isaiah said in Isaiah 39 verse 6 where it speaks about the wealth of Jerusalem will be carried off to Babylon. 
He prophesied that over a hundred years ago, and here it is taking place. Confirmation after confirmation of the Word of God speaking. So to quote another commentary, it says, The capture of Jerusalem and the exiles of these first captives were the beginning of the end for the holy city, Jerusalem, which had been made magnificent by David and Solomon. When the Word of God is ignored, and listen to the relevance of this to our days in society. When the Word of God is ignored and violated, divine judgment is inevitable. God will move. That's why I'm saying to you, we don't have to be relevant to the world. We hold on to who we are. Just stand your ground and don't waver and become like the world. We are set apart to, to stand for the glory of our King. The spiritual lessons embodied in the cold fact of the captivity may well be pondered by the church today, which too often has a form of godliness, but without the power. Worldly saints do not capture the world, but become instead the world's captives. How many have been captivated or captive by the world where they don't stand for the truth of the word? This, is, this thing of compromise is very relevant to this first chapter we speak about Daniel's life. And he was used by God because he didn't compromise. He held his line. And we know the miracles that took place. There was three of his friends we will see today. Where were they? In the fiery ferns. Okay? He was put before a lion in his older age, but he wouldn't compromise. Are we ready to face things like that? It's, it's a test. But when you know your God, he says in Daniel, I think it's 9 or 11, it says, though there's those that know their God will do great exploits. We've got to know Him. Then we will not have fear. Let's not be biblically illiterate as we walk forward and understand the times that we're living in. So as we get, as I've said over the last few weeks, this now was the first exile of Israel, of Israel out of Israel, into, out of Jerusalem, towards into Babylon. Can read the next section. So it's a bit small. I was trying to put it onto one page. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom and endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That word Chaldeans is referring to the time of Babylon, but speaking to a place and a time where they were with literature and understanding of the culture and the, the worship of their gods, how they lived according to their lives in that time and season. So the, the whole thing of bringing the royal family and nobility, it's, 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 it's really thought that da Daniel was part of a, the royal family in Israel. His line was a part of a family of high nobility in Israel. And they wanted all the best. King, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar said, bring me the best, because he wants to now use them for his kingdom and to see how he can use these guys. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Shazar, yeah. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Isaiah he called Abednego.
We all know, and there's the joke that you're telling each other. Yes, I know that. We all know that one. Okay? Daniel, Meshach, um, Abednego, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, in person, have met all three guys with those names. We have a Meshach here. Um, no, sure, we have, a, yeah, we have a Shadrach, I know, a Meshach up in the Northern Cape. And then when we were near the Kruger a couple of years ago, I met an Abednego. I've never met a guy like that before, but that was his name. There he was. Okay? So when you read this passage now, let's just look at the three. So it's not very clear, this, this text, I mean, on this screen. But the name Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Michelle, who is what God is. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped. They changed their names to Lady Protect the King. You know, I'm very fearful of God. I'm of little account. Servant of the God Nebo. Okay, so those were Babylonian names. Okay, okay again, this will be in the 11th folder of the um, Google Drive. So the, all the text and everything will be in there for you. He has, he has an interesting point. Changing their names didn't change their stance. It was just the name. They, they knew who they were. Okay? They weren't affected by that. Didn't depart. They didn't mean they departed now from the Hebrew faith, being referred to as somebody else. Okay? Those were that were selected for royal service as described of being from the royal family and the nobility of Israel. These young men came from the southern kingdom of Judah, not the northern kingdom. And they've already been carried into captivity. And the reference to them being from Israel means that they were indeed Israelites from the descendants of Jacob. Now these friends, we know what plays out. We see later on as they stand in this fiery furnace. But what's important when you read here, it says there, the king assigned them to a daily portion of food, but they were educated for three years. Three years that they would understand. This is daily now. This is not a, a weekly night course that they go on to. This is every day for three years they were educated in the way of the Babylonians to understand. So they were basically being entrenched with an understanding of, of the culture of the day and what was required to be before the king so that he could work with you essentially. Okay, so this was to separate them from the previous Jewish culture and environment and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. But here's the thing. When you go through the story, they didn't compromise on the truth that they understood according to the word of God and how they knew who God was to them. Okay, this is a very important fact for us as the church today. Because what are we standing with all these voices, all these narratives, all these things trying to tell us what we need to believe? Regards to gender, regards to race, regards to all these things. What's happening? They're trying to tell us, no, you need to believe this. No, we don't. We will not bow. Okay, we will not bow to the requirement of that narrative. Social media is like educating. Teaches, it teaches all the time, and you're like, oh, well, it must must be true. Everything rests upon the word of God. Everything. And if you want to know your God, know the word. Then you will not be in fear, you will not waver, you will not compromise in the standards of truth. I want you to see this. These were young, they were teenagers. Can you now see the relevance of why we need to send our kids on a camp? While we have time with them to build into their lives, it's not just for, oh, let them go on a camp and have some fun. Guys. Are we getting this? They were teenagers when they arrived in Babylon. How influential? What's the most influential age you live? It's a teenager. And many lives are destroyed between the ages of 12 and 18. We need to fight for our youth. Now these young men, 
were taught all the ways of Babylon, they didn't falter. They didn't flinch when it came to the truth of understanding who God was and the truth of His Word to them. As we keep reading on, Daniel's faithfulness, this part says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore he asked the king of the eunuchs, the, sorry, the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, so this is a bit of a lower-runged guy that Daniel's having a conversation with in the order of the hierarchy of the king's palace and all that. This is what he said to Daniel. I fear my lord, the king. He's very scared of King Nebuchadnezzar, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would, in, you would not endanger my head with the king. This guy, he's saying to Daniel, please, work with me not against me, okay, because if I don't give you the foods, and you are worse off, and he says there, your worse condition than the other guys, I'm the one that's going to get killed, not you, so he's like, please, understand, see this again here is a test of compromise for Daniel, I had an interesting conversation with someone a while ago, and I haven't delved into this a lot, honestly, I, I don't have a full understanding, but, but the whole thing of halal meat, What is that? Is it sacrifice to somebody? Is it, is, it, is, it a, is it a sacrifice to an aisle? Is it sacrificed? But yet we partake. Okay, I'm just leaving it there. Think about this. Daniel, the purpose of him not partaking of the food, why? Okay, there was a purpose. He was not, not going to compromise. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 8. And he speaks about sacrifice of food to idols. And in there he speaks about that, yes, if it hasn't been, you can partake, but don't do it to offend your brother, because you might affect his faith. So stand together in how you do this. See, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a thing on food that's been sacrificed towards idols. Okay, so what was the case here? Either the food hadn't been prepared for Daniel and his friends that didn't follow the mosaic practices and requirements of the law and how food was presented. So they followed that. We're in our Gentile kind of state. We don't really have a lot of that. We just eat everything. Okay? It's not part of our kind of religious culture in a way of a Gentile. Okay? But these guys were Gentiles too. Sorry. So Babylonians are. But our religions way. So the wine, the wine wasn't a problem. Okay? Because they would have drunk wine. It would have been okay. But the problem was that this food and wine had been dedicated to the God as an as a, as a offering to the idols. Okay? Which meant that if they partook of this food, they would recognize those idols as a deity. They would say, yeah, your, your deity is a God. And if we partake in this food, we are basically acknowledging that your God is okay. So Daniel was like, no, I'm not going to be compromised. And I'm not going to partake of this food. But here's the thing. Uh, is, and as I said to you, the eunuch was in fear, but it says, but Daniel had favor and compassion. Daniel's not being rebellious here. Okay, the church is rebellious to things like, no, you're rubbish. We'll never do that. You'll tell us what to do. Blah, blah, blah. Daniel comes with a solution. He says, I tell you what, we're not going to partake, but, but let us do this. And we'll read the next part now, and it speaks into that. Okay, and then Daniel said to the steward, okay, whom the chief 
of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants, this is Daniel saying to him now, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he's giving them a solution. Okay? So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's foods. So the last line's not there. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So basically, yeah, that's correct, and gave them vegetables. So he basically, what happened to Daniel in the fall was working so well that everyone followed this. So already, the favor that he's having is a compassion that he's dealing with us now. As I said to you, he was not in rebellion. Look here, pal. We don't partake of your foods here. Okay, buddy. Daniel knew he's not in the ascendancy here. Okay, he has to have compassion with the understanding, but he's been given a godly solution that gives him favor. And he doesn't oppose and shout his mouth off. He brings a solution. Say, let's work together in this. But in the working together, he was uncompromising in his service as his body to God in worship to him. Okay, your conviction for God will bring about the solution. So the word vegetables there, the commentators are saying, it was an array of foods that were from the ground. Okay, so it, doesn't, it wasn't like they, eat, they ate peas and beans for 10 days. Just that. The grain would also mean like they would make bread. They would be able to eat fruit. There were vegetables that are involved with it. Now when we speak about doing, later in the book you'll see Daniel does a 21-day fast. Okay, and he just has vegetables. And he partakes in that. We'll get to that a little later. But you see the, the understanding. Now the appearance was better. It wasn't a supernatural thing. Wow, the Lord made Daniel and his three friends look better. No, they just ate better. And they look better in appearance, and he made everybody do it, okay? So as for these four youths, this is speaking about these four guys now, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. They were very, they were very clever and academic people. Daniel was a clever guy. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now remember, this is him writing about himself. Okay, now he's saying that because... This, this book is full of him um, interpreting the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, who killed others because they couldn't interpret it. And the thing is, he wouldn't even tell them the dream. He's like, if you know your God, you're going to tell me my dream and interpret it. And that's a bit of a hard stance, eh? And Daniel cracked it. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, now this is after their three years, they've been trained. He's not spoken to the king once. He's never been before the king ever. It's like a bride that's prepared in those times. She doesn't see the, the king. She's prepared and then presented to him. This is the same. These guys, this is the first time they're coming to stand before the king. Three years of training. Just think of all the conversations Daniel and these guys have had with his, the chief of the eunuchs and all these guys. They've got to know them. And in the time when the king had commanded that should, they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every manner, you see, you can only stand before an earthly king with confidence when you know who your heavenly king is. If you're going to go and stand before an earthly king and grovel and be like, oh, you know, and you don't know who your true king is. Because if our king 
who we worship in heaven, allows us to come before Him like we do with boldness and confidence, why should we be threatened by an earthly king? Think about it. Okay? Yeah, we give honor. Wow, wonderful to meet you. I really got in the years of just growing in life, I have got more and more of a thing inside of me that I'm not intimidated by anyone of high importance. I can meet anybody and I'll be, I'm like, hey man, you are human just like me. We stand before the same God. It's not disrespect. I don't care who you are, but I know my king. So it doesn't make me nervous. I'm not nervous in front of dignitaries because I'm assured of who I am. And when you have high echelons of society coming in around you, don't bow to them. You know who your one king is. It's King Jesus. And the king spoke with them, and among of all of them there was none found like these guys. Therefore they stood before the king. And in, a ma- in, a, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he was testing them, checking that they know their stuff. And Nebuchadnezzar also wasn't an idiot. You don't get to the top, and you know, you're a lion, and they were very bad kings and stuff, but he was also a very sharp guy. And he, and he tested them, and he found them ten times, this is Daniel writing now, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So clearly they stood out. What an example to us as God's kingdom ambassadors that we stand out. You have this opportunity when you arrive at your workplace tomorrow morning. Are you going to partner with that first person you see like, oh, I hate this place. Clock in. My job sucks. You have just partnered with the kingdom of this world. But you walk in, morning. I used to love going to the office on the first thing on Monday morning because everyone's bubbleless, they're all dreary. And you walk in all happy. And I wasn't being annoying, I was just happy. That's who I am. And I set the tone. Morning, everybody. And an 8 o'clock sales meeting on a Monday morning wasn't fun. <laughs> After two and a half hours of worship on a Sunday night and glory of heaven to the relevance of people fearing over their security. <laughs> Painful. But I didn't bow. I didn't, I didn't succumb to this thing. You've got to understand your position, people. Come on, be the light. Be, be full of joy in your lives. Okay? And they were ten times better than all the king of them. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now that line is interesting. So let's look at this. After three years of study, as I said, they brought before the king. Now these guys are probably not even 20 yet. Okay, who is under 20 yet? Just lift, lift your hands. If you're under 20. Okay? Robin, careful. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of you under 20. Remember I've spoke to you youth and stuff? The disciples were all teenagers. We cannot neglect our youth. They were just about 20 years old, okay? Exile. Daniel is speaking, as I understand, about his dreams. Um, and that final verse that says there, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, that just catapulted 60 years of time. Okay, which meant when King Cyrus came from the Persian Empire and overtook the Babylonian Empire and crushed them, Daniel was still there. And he was now 80 years old. There's hope for us, Bob. <laughs> he was 80. Just that verse jumped us way forward. Now, he was, the, as I said, the Persian king that in 539 BC, they came and captured Babylon and conquered Babylon. And now we'll see in Daniel's visions, he speaks into the Babylonian, then the Persian media, and then the Romans, 
we'll break down all those prophecies for you. But I want to read a few things that just, I couldn't say this better than reading it out of the commentary with these guys that had written these things down. And there's just a few points that kind of make about speaking about the book of Daniel and who he was as a person and how he stood for the things of God. I want to read a few things and then there's seven points I want to just read out which they make. One, one point they make, and they speak about all the visions and the symbols and all the things about the theological statements and the nature of God and the Christian life. But it says there one thing, perseverance is necessary. Okay, the central message of Daniel is the call for his people to keep on being faithful when human circumstances appear to hide all hope. Listen to me, people. See how relevant it is. 2,600 years ago, it's the same relevance. Okay? Life with God does not guarantee good times always. God's people must persevere through the dark days. In a world filled with voices clamoring for allegiance, God's people are called to follow Him at all costs. Don't be lured into cheap entertainment. Lured into like, it's better if I do this for my life. See those ten virgins? Ten were asleep without oil, meaning we know better. Leave it to us. No, no, we'll just go later. If you do things on your terms, you're going to be caught short. The example of Daniel and his friends stands as a role model for each person who wants to be lift, listed amongst God's people. Faith involves risk. Just as Daniel and his friends had to act in faith against immensely powerful opposition. Come on, guys. So God's people must risk even their lives to remain faithful. These guys will read out. They were prepared to go and walk into a fiery furnace. When you read that passage, the guys that were making the fire hotter, they got burned to death. But these guys stood. They were teenagers, remember. Teenagers. We face a lot. Another line that says, yeah, prayer keeps God's people faithful. <laughs> Only through constant communication with God can His people persevere and follow the life He sets out for them. Prayer is the highway to proper ethics for God's people. Because you're talking to Him, you're communicating with Him, you're engaging. Prayer brings hope in the midst of travail and threat. When enemies surround God's people, prayer is the link that gives vision and hope. See, prayer and worship, I always say they are so closely interlinked. We see that when we worship this morning, there's hope, there's faith in the room in worshiping God. See, we keep the center, we keep pressing into Him, keep understanding, persevering. Through prayer, God's people confess their sins and seek God's new direction for their lives. And the leaders of God's people must confess the people's sin and intercede for them. Just like Moses stood and interceded for the people. Daniel prayed for his people. Oh God, that you would have mercy on us. He prayed and asked these things. I pray for you people, that you would walk in the freedom and what God has called you to be and not compromise and be faithful as you serve Him. I just want to read out these seven points. I just couldn't get around them. They kept coming up for me. And it speaks about this book now of Daniel. This book is a contagious word of encouragement through personal experience, through personal examples. Daniel is a consistent role model. His actions were grounded in history. He was a real person who confronted real issues and led many people in the life of faith. Danger never dampened his daily dedication to God. The laws or threats of a dictator could not deter Daniel from exalting God. He bowed and prayed even though he was told not to. You only do that when you're assured. You only do that when you know your God. 
Second point, evil may prosper for a time. It's, it's, it feels like it's prospering in this time we live. That time may extend beyond our individual lifetime, which is always a hard thing to comprehend. Those that were born and died in, in slavery in Egypt, those, the 400 years of silence, how many people were born and died in that time and God didn't speak to His people? It's just the time you were alive. Our calling is not to have constant victory, but to have constant faith. It's good, eh? Evil will be punished eventually. It will all be taken and paid for. God's message, third point, God's message will be unchanging even though the media may vary. The book of Daniel reflects the time when the power of prophetic utterances was not paramount. His prophetic utterances weren't the thing of the day. He was way ahead of his time, but he was speaking about things that are happening thousands of years later. Other types of proclamation were needed. Apocalyptic expressions began to be understood as an avenue of God's voice. Because of Daniel, we now embrace this. Okay, fourth point. God calls people, persons continually. That call may involve threats of tyrannies, unrighteous laws, inordinate pressures, and personal suffering. In all situations, God's people, uh, God calls people to lead and instruct His people. Meaning, be faithful. Don't give up. Fifth point, our actions must be prompted by glorification of God and not by gratification of selfish desires. And read that again. Our actions must be prompted by glorification of God, meaning our lives exalt Him, not by gratification of selfish desires. You know what? I don't feel like going to church today. I'm going to go have a long walk. That's fine, maybe you need some time on your own, but then at four or five weeks go by, you forsake the, the basic foundation of the faith, of being committed to a people. God created the whole world. All nations are under God's requirements. Go and read Psalm 2. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. And all their plots and plans, God laughs at all these guys' plans. The faithful must exalt the living God constantly in the whole world under all circumstances. You see, this, is a call. this book is a call to persevere. Sixth point, God is alive and at work. Hard times and suffering may dim our vision, but God does not call us to explain our circumstances. He calls us to trust Him and His word of promise. I hope this is settling into your spirits. Like, keep on keeping on people. The last point, resurrection hope is the answer for a world falling apart. Okay, this is Daniel's reference 2,600 years ago. Into them, their world was falling apart. The world today is falling apart. Just reward and punishment does not always come in this life. The righteous may die for their faithfulness. God will reward them through personal resurrection. You see, it goes beyond the grave. I want, to, I want to encourage you guys. You see, there's so much pressing in on us. And I, I know, just I can pick point just a few people that I know in your lives, the pressures you're facing, the things we're coming up against. I've not in my whole life experienced such spiritual opposition, just constant, <clears throat> that I have in the last three, four years. N never. 
Okay, I don't know if I'm older now, I'm just a little bit wiser, and I'm seeing stuff, but I don't remember being like this in my 20s and my 30s. And I, I've lived for God. I've served Him, and I've just done what I've done in living for Him. But the pressures in today's world are far higher of the spiritual intensity. And that does speak about being on the front line. We are forefront of what God is calling as a people, so you are going to come up against opposition. So when we sing that song, you know, the, the, uh, His breath gives life to the valley of, and speaks of Ezekiel 37, the dry bones would sing, that's an army that died. They will be given life and resurrected again, speaking about Israel, that what once was dead will come to life. And the power of that resurrection that they will have in God. And the, the, the call to persevere. What is that line that is so powerful? Okay. Um, you can just silence your phone there. Thank you. Um, it says there, Our calling is not to have constant victory, but to have constant faith. <laughs> you see, we, are, we unfortunately live in this charismania world where everything's about victory, victory, victory. And we've got this charismatic, victorious theology. And, and, and the, which leads you to like, Everything we will win in my lifetime. My God, He reigns. Da, da, da. And it's like when it doesn't happen, I've seen people, their faith falters. But, 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 but God, but God's not answering. God's not happening. Ah, can't be. And then they walk away. Because your faith's going to be tested. Okay? And what is your call? Just like Daniel, is to persevere. But you persevere by standing strong upon who, know who, who God is. But you do not compromise. Don't get into wasteful, unuseful arguments with people. Fighting about what they believe is truth. Let them talk to say, that's fine, I appreciate this woke kind of culture. As I said, yeah, that woke thing is not built, it's not based upon a, a script or language or anything. It's an ideology. It's just a way of thinking. So you can't argue with them because they don't have anything to base it upon. It's just the spirit of the age. You can't argue. Just, I appreciate your point of view. If you appreciate my point of view, thank you. We persevere, people. And I want to I purposely, I want to finish here praying for our, every under 20-year-old in this room this morning. Okay. Now you see we've got a camp coming up. We've got things. I don't think I've got more slides than I Every, if you're under 20, I want you to stand up, please. I want to finish. We want to pray over you. <laughs> Tracy's playing the keyboard. <laughs> oh, she's going to the toilet. Okay. <laughs> so spiritual. <laughs> okay, look, we, we are talking to you guys, under 20-year-olds. You have purpose in God. Daniel and his friends were teenagers just like you. You have the world screaming at you with all the agendas that they're forcing you to believe. All the things they're telling you how you need to be. I, I encourage you, and I know there are many of you, hearing your voices here a couple of weeks ago brought me much courage to my heart. How you love the Word of God. Just keep reading the Word. Keep engaging and talking to Jesus. He is the center of everything. He is sufficient for you. And we're going to pray over you guys that Yes, God's going to provide for this camp. But as we lead up to this camp, that many of you will go on, you will encounter Him. Yes. That you will have, like Daniel had, Daniel must have encountered and known the Lord.
through all his hardship, through all the things that came against him, he, he was unfaltering and unwavering in his belief, in his understanding who God is. So let's just gather around some of these guys, and we're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on you, and we're going to speak God's word and life. Let's just reach out to our teens, to our youth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the, the endless examples in the word of how you used young people, how you positioned them to stand in uncompromising truth against the world and the society that shouts and screams at us, telling us what we should be doing. But we base everything upon your word. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit now in this room, as every heart we engage, we, we pour it out our hearts to these young people to say, arise, stand, stand, for now is the time, as your camp theme, now is the time for you just to hold firm to your truth. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just settle on every one of these young people now today in this hall. That they will truly know that they are called in this day and this age to be a voice of truth, to be a voice of reason, and a voice of life. And I want to, I want to break off of you this feeling of that you, you have no voice, that you're irrelevant, and the world and the church doesn't understand you. The, we get you. We understand you. The world is the thing that doesn't get you because you are set apart for the ways of the King. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that the revelation of the King would rest in these young people's hearts. They will truly know the power of your love. And we say over you, every young person, you are loved, you are heard, you're embraced by this community, and we want to see you shouted from the rooftops that Jesus is King. Shouted from the rooftops that He is the only one true God. And we don't bow to all the narratives of this world, but we bow to our King. And we serve Him wholeheartedly with everything. Let's just applaud our young people. Amen. 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 We are for you, we're with you. And we are believing you're going to have more than enough finances for this camp. Okay, we, You're not up here every Sunday begging and pleading with us. You're catching our hearts up with where you're at to be able to run with fire and to run with the victory that God's given us to keep walking in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.